X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. It's May 13th, 2020. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. Today, back in the day, May 13th, 1977, Howard Stern began broadcasting at WRNW, Briarcliff Manor, New York. Yesterday, Stern had some choice words for the supporters of Donald Trump. Stern and Trump have been friends. Stern even invited Trump to his wedding. Yesterday, he said, I don't hate Donald. I hate you for voting for him, for not having intelligence. Also, today, back in the day, 70 years ago, Stevie Wonder was born. Glad that happened. Today on The Local, your quick six headlines, Nick Guerrero from Raphael House joins us with a focus on domestic violence resources and an interview with Dr. Lisa Reynolds, candidate for House District 36. We've now done 60 candidate interviews. You can check them out in the Vision 2020 series on xraypod.com. X-Ray. First up, it's today's Quick 6 local rundown. Oregon landlords feared the worst for May rent, but the numbers aren't too shabby. Last month, Oregon residential renters came the closest of any state to making monthly payments at their pre-pandemic level. 82% of Oregon units made their rent payments within the first week of April. That's only a 7% decrease from last year, the smallest decline in the country. In May, Oregon's on-time rent payments increased to 89%. The trend is a bit baffling, according to PSU's Northwest Economic Research Center. Director Tom Patowski said, I just don't see any pattern to the states as to why some are high and others are low. Bottom line, this is not the result landlords or economists were expecting. Your daily dose of data. Good news, folks. Oregon did not report any new coronavirus-related deaths yesterday in their daily update. That means 130 people are known to have died from COVID-19 in Oregon. In southwest Washington, the Clark County Public Health announced seven new confirmed cases, bringing known cases in that county to 393. All but four Oregon counties have now applied to reopen some businesses under Governor Kate Brown's framework. The four that haven't applied? Washington, Multnomah, Clackamas, also Lincoln County. According to ODOT, vehicle traffic statewide is lighter than it was at the same time last year, but over the past month, traffic volume has begun increasing. In April, traffic began with a 43% weekday volume compared to 2019. By the end of April, the difference changed to 29% below 2019 weekday volumes. That's some good data today. In your budget news, Governor Kate Brown is preparing for spending cuts, hoping federal aid will cushion the blow. The governor advised agencies to prepare for 17% budget cuts. The governor made an announcement after state budget officials received plans from agencies on how they would cut a total of $3 billion. The state government faces a shortfall of about that much in the current two-year budget cycle. The next official economic and revenue forecast is Wednesday, May 20th. No final decisions have been made, and the plans are not yet public. States and local governments did get aid from the CARES Act that Congress passed in March, but the law and proposed Treasury rules bar them from using that money to offset budget shortfalls. The money has to go to rising costs since March 1st to fight the pandemic. There will presumably be a lot of accounting done to try to apply as much of the costs as possible and define them as rising costs. Oregon is going to get about $1.6 billion. Portland has received $114 million. Washington County, $104 million. Multnomah County will also get a share directly from the U.S. Treasury. And note, the governor has the authority to cut across the board, but only the legislature can cut budgets selectively. So stay tuned. A special session of the legislature is looking more likely after the May 20th forecast. So what stuff could you start to enjoy in the summer? Well, it's varying city by city. Parks mostly remained open during the pandemic for walking, jogging, and biking. Most bathrooms and playground equipment remained closed. 
All campgrounds remain closed. Certain boat ramps and county parks are beginning to reopen. Oregon has fully reopened 16 state parks, partly reopened another 17 across the state, largely in southern, central, and eastern Oregon. Oregon coast recreation sites are likely to be among the last to reopen. Beach access points are closed from Reed Sport to Astoria unless you live there, and people have been cited for trespassing. Similarly, the Columbia Gorge is expected to be among the last places to reopen. Just about everything in the Columbia River Gorge National Scenic Area is closed. Crater Lake remains closed. Well, the lake is still a lake, so it's like open to the air and the sky, but the National Park remains closed. While trailheads and developed sites remain closed, in some cases you're allowed to park elsewhere, including a forest road where you're not blocking traffic, and access a trail for hiking or mountain biking. Again, make sure you keep social spacing of 6 to 10 feet. We're trying that out, by the way. Social spacing, that phrase instead of social distancing, sounds friendlier. Still, 6 to 10 feet, same number of feet, but space is distinct from distance. And a different kind of outdoor summer fun, the Pendleton Roundup, Oregon's biggest rodeo, put on every September, is going to happen. By the way, my family lived in Pendleton. My pop was district attorney in Umatilla County back in the day. The Roundup is a good time. Hope a bunch of people don't catch the COVID there. Letter buck indeed. This ain't my first rodeo. Meanwhile, the World of Speed Museum is closing permanently. The Wilsonville Museum since 2015 has been home to a bunch of race cars and old paraphernalia of racing. The assets of the museum will be distributed over the next eight months to other museums. It's going to happen pretty fast. The Independent Party is conducting an online primary right now using star voting. Star voting stands for score, then automatic runoff. Started by Mark Fronmeyer, son of former Secretary of State and Attorney General Dave Fronmeyer. You got to rate the candidates on a one to five scale like Yelp. Five stars is more, one star is fewer. Star voting advocates aim to eliminate the spoiler effect, allowing folks to vote their conscience without throwing away their vote. The Independent Party of Oregon is opening the vote to anyone not registered as a Democrat or Republican, and you can vote online. The winner of that star vote online primary will appear as the Independent Party candidate on the November ballot. So stay tuned for that. In Portland restaurant news... Kurt Huffman, order of Ox, XLB, Grassa, and Lardo, to name a few, has beef with the governor's order of a 10 p.m. curfew on all food and drink service. He says a 10 p.m. last call limits any upscale restaurant to two rounds of dinner service, one at six, another at eight. Add in separated tabletops to keep customers apart, and the problem is even worse. Huffman plans to fight the rule, but he says he won't open his restaurants until August, saying they can't survive on half occupancy and restricted hours. Former employees of the Portland Southeast Bar, the liquor store, are suing for sexual harassment. The lawsuit filed in circuit court alleges two former workers were sexually harassed by one of the bar's investors. One of the former employees sued for just a buck, saying it's about the message at this juncture. And in sunshiny news, Timberline Lodge and its ski area are slated to reopen on Friday. Skiing in May, just in time. Reservations we made in advance online will include a coronavirus questionnaire. Backcountry skiers will not need to make advance reservations, but will need to stop at a mandatory checkpoint before going out. You got to wear masks, gloves, and goggles or glasses. And social spacing will be required on the ski lifts. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. Here's Emily Gilliland with what's next. Thanks, Jefferson. First up, a focus on domestic violence resources. Nick Guerrero, the community-based programs manager for Raphael House, joins us with more. For more than 40 years, Raphael House has been helping survivors of domestic violence and their families find safety, resources, and independence. 
In the COVID-19 pandemic, more than 400 survivors have relied on Rafael House for shelter, food, hygiene supplies, and a host of other ways. To tell us more about how they're handling these times, the Community-Based Programs Manager, Nick Guerrero, joins us this morning. Good morning, Nick. Hello, good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here. At a time when families are being asked to shelter in place, those who live with domestic violence are facing even greater threats inside their home. How has Raphael House helped to manage that crisis during the bigger pandemic? Right. No, yes, thank you. Um, we know that during this time, sheltering in place is um, you know, more dangerous for folks living with people um, who are abusive. Um, we are continuing our services. We have um, decided not to scale back on, um, you know, our, on our services. We're not closing shelter. We still are operating 24-7 staffing our emergency shelter. Um, and we have a host of other uh, programs. Um, uh, the ones that I manage are community-based. Um, so meaning we have uh, recovery mentors uh, supporting people who are uh, dealing with both addiction recovery and um, abuse in their relationships. Um, we have a healthcare advocate that works at a, a OHSU Richmond clinic, um, and they are still providing support and services. And it looks different, um, whether that's uh, providing support over the phone um, or video chat, um, and at the same time, uh, still meeting up with participants as needed, but keeping um, you know all the safety measures in place. You know, social distancing, mm -hmm. mask, gloves. Usually folks are meeting up, dropping off uh, food um, and other supplies, hygiene supplies, um, uh, those natures. Um, so that's kind of a brief summary of how we're still uh, maintaining our services, still connecting survivors, not only to our resources, but other community resources as needed. And how has your work changed since the pandemic began? Of course, new safety measures, but have you seen yes. increased numbers of folks coming to you all, decreased numbers? Well, we've definitely seen, I mean, both locally and nationally, mm -hmm. um, the number of calls to uh, hotlines have increased. Um, our partners, our uh, community partners that call to safety have seen an increase uh, for sure um, over this time. Um, and uh, we um, still are, are, you know, we're, we're full white right now. We're not screening right now in shelter, um, but we have uh, over these past weeks uh, continued to help families move into uh, housing, um, and we've then screened in new families and individuals into shelter. Uh, so we are are still, um, um, like I said, supporting folks in that way. Mm -hmm. And tell us about your response fund and how you're allocating resources during this time that's that's difficult for everyone. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, well, the, first of all, too, the community um, has been great in responding to. Um, our needs and uh, we know that this is going to continue and, and we definitely uh, need the support just like other uh, community-based agencies um, uh, need, need support of, the, uh, of, of Portland and, and Oregon to continue services. Um, we um, <clears throat> are still, you know, doing our best to, um, you know, with, with my programs to adapt, uh, you know, whatever that looks like. Um, you know, some some programming making, uh, uh, we have a prevention education program that with schools being closed right now, um, you know, and still doing sessions online, uh, mm -hmm. they are, um, you know, providing 
uh, webinars and and other um, online resources. Um, and so and I'm sorry, I don't know. My 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 mind missed some of the first of your question. Sorry. No worries. And those online resources that you just described are those newly online because of COVID nineteen? Yeah. So are usually, for example, with um, you know, I was saying how our advocates are providing support often over the phone or video chat. Um, but uh, for example, one of the programs that's community-based or prevention education program that usually goes into schools or businesses, mm-hmm. uh, one of their ways that they're adapting is, is by making uh, webinars or other trainings that um, are available to teachers um, online. Um, and that's all come about because of this um, of COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And for decades, you all have offered uninterrupted access to emergency shelter in a confidential location. Was that service interrupted at all due to COVID-19? Well, no. During uh, when we started um, sheltering in place, um, our shelter was was full. Mm -hmm. Um, We have nine rooms for families and two rooms for singles. Uh, gender-inclusive shelter. We, we, the majority are youth participants um, there with, with their uh, parents or, or guardians. Um, and we were full at the time. Um, and then over these past weeks, we have continued, you know, folks, uh, housing has um, often been slowed down, you know, the housing process, but um, we've helped some families move into um, more uh, safe, affordable housing. Um, and then we have new safety and cleaning measures in place, and we turn that room around. We, we let our community partners know that we have a space available, mm. um, and then we've screened in new folks. So um, we're still continuing on as um, as normal um, with, with just new safety cleaning measures in place, um, if that makes sense, yeah. Got it. One of, one of the concerns with the stay-at-home order is that folks are disconnected to supports and disconnected from folks who might be allies and resources for folks who are experiencing domestic violence. What What is your advice for folks who um, could be allies um, for individuals who are experiencing or families intru- who are experiencing domestic violence? Right. No, definitely during this time, as we mentioned, like the increased isolation, abusers using uh, power and control again to, um, you know, further isolate, um, uh, control folks' behavior. I mean, maybe keeping them from, um, you know, healthcare services, keeping, uh, you know, limiting what information people have. So it really does, um, we want folks to know that, you know, there is, there is still help out there. There's um, places like the Gateway Center where folks can um, call in and get support um, on Monday through Friday. They're the, um, you know, the community kind of one-stop TV center. Um, and while they're not available for walk-in, you can call and get in touch with them. Call to, call to safety, the 24-7 hotline. Um, our hotline is available. Um, we want folks to know that there's still resources available, people to reach out to. And then also knowing that, yeah, like you, um, since folks are more isolated, it might be more of a friend or a neighbor that notices um, uh, something not okay going on, you know, mm-hmm. next door, and really uh, those folks being a resource and support to people that they see and know in their community, um, and knowing that they can connect them to resources. Yeah. What's the best resource? Or so, if someone is, has concerns about a neighbor or a loved one or are in that situation themselves, what should their first step be? You, I would, um, you know, it's it, it depending on, of course, every situation is different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're able to 
you know, connect with this person. I know that's harder with social distancing and all that, but maybe um, you have a way to safely check in with them and see how they're doing, um, see, um, you know, try to uh, support. Um, and if you can't um, and you're concerned and you, and you uh, don't know what's going on, I would reach out to, to uh, either our hotline or to call to safety. Call to safety is 24-7 um, uh, statewide uh hotline um, and, and, and talk to an advocate um, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, help, they can help you assess the situation um, and, and not only, you know, provide some safety planning steps, maybe there's a, a good way to reach, like if it's your neighbor, um, you know, kind of assessing the situation, seeing how best you can uh, support. Thank you for that. That's really helpful. And can you give us, again, sort of the overview of programs and resources that you all offer at Raphael House? Yeah, we're, you know, as you mentioned um, at the beginning, we've been in Portland for over uh, 40 years, um, primarily as an emergency shelter, um, and we've grown, especially over these past uh, 10 years or so, um, where we have nine programs, everything from the emergency shelter um, to our uh, youth program that covers um, emergency shelter, as well as our advocacy center, which is um, our long-term services. So when folks leave shelter, they can stay connected to programming through our advocacy center. Um, we have volunteer program. Uh, we have housing programs. Um, and then we have the community pre- community-based programs that I support, the prevention education, healthcare advocacy, and um, our domestic violence recovery mentors. And how can folks find out more about Raphael House, Nick? You can, um, you know, again, um, go to our uh, website, uh, which is www.raphaelhouse.com, and you can find out more about our services. You can, um, you know, as I mentioned, we um, have had a lot of generous support from the community, and we're still going to need that to continue services long term. Um, And there's so there's ways to support and donate through that online um, uh, portal. and, and then again, just kind of also going to that website, um, you know, especially if you um, are in an unsafe situation um, and you're able to go on and, and look for further resources through our website. Also knowing that abusers often monitor um, phones and computers. Um, so keeping that in mind too um, and assessing that for your safety. But on our website too are further resources, not only to the ones I mentioned like Call to Safety and Gateway, but other national resources too. Nick, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Again, that was Nick Guerrero, the Community-Based Programs Manager at Raphael House. You can find out more and learn how to help at raphaelhouse.com. Dr. Lisa Reynolds, candidate for House District 36, talks with me about why we need another physician in the legislature, her organizing background, and her firsthand observations of COVID-19 our first of three candidates running for House District 36. This year's elections provide us an opportunity to vote for the candidates we need to strengthen our communities across the state. Today, we want to introduce you to another candidate running for office. Dr. Lisa Reynolds is a pediatrician who is involved with Moms Demand Action and is running for office for the first time. Her priorities include common sense gun protection, health care for all, affordable housing, and urgent action on climate. Dr. Reynolds is running for House District 36. Thanks for joining us today, Lisa. So start. let's start out with uh, 
talking about who you are, what should our listeners know about you as a candidate running for office? Thank you. Um, well, I'm a pediatrician, I'm a mom, and I'm an activist. Uh, as you alluded to in the introduction, uh, I kind of cut my activist teeth with Moms Demand Action for Gun mm-hmm. Sense. I joined after the shooting at Umpqua Community College, which left 10 people dead. And through that work, I spent a lot of time in Salem on my days off, when, including rescheduling patients, where, and I would help organize you know, hundreds of volunteers to talk to their legislators to fill the hearing rooms and the chamber galleries. I testified in front of um, committees. And you know, through that work, I really uh, gained a lot of appreciation and respect for the legislative process. And it's what kind of got me thinking about perhaps making a run for office. But of course, more importantly, is my work as a as a pediatrician. I've been uh, in a group practice for 25 years, built a thriving practice. I've I've followed kids from, you know, birth, you know, through going off to college and and beyond. I've had a couple um, young parents come back to me with their own kids who I took care of, and uh, through that work, I've seen what works and what doesn't work for families. And I have felt for a while that I want to do more for families than I'm able to do in the exam room. And when we look at the fact that Oregon's budget is 27% is devoted to healthcare, and believe me, that that percentage is gonna go much higher in our current crisis, which I'm sure we'll be talking about. You know, it struck me that we have very few medical experts in the legislature. We have the amazing Rachel Kruzak, a nurse practitioner in the Oregon House, and we have Dr. Elizabeth Steiner Hayward in the Senate two healthcare providers mm. out of 90 legislators. All that kind of came together, and I realized that I had the, the medical expertise and the activist background where I think I could be an amazing legislator in, in the legislature. Thank you. Mm. Now, on your list of priorities, common sense gun protection is, is listed first. Is that your top priority? I would not say that is my top priority. I've been working really hard on this issue for years, and with Moms Demand Action, we've we've been very um, successful in passing a gun violence prevention bill every year in the legislature except for this year. Mm. I've been working for two years on requiring that guns be locked when that guns are locked when they're not in use. That has failed twice in the legislature. Uh, we are all set to do a ballot measure. In November, that process has obviously become very, very complicated because the process for gathering signatures will be is, is impossible in this current yeah. setting, and I, I don't see it lifting in time to get the signatures to get that ballot measure um, certified. But um, it's definitely one of my priorities. But I would say more important to me is this early childhood issue, mm-hmm. um, as well as health care for all. And look, we have to talk about the fact that we are in, you know, at just the beginning of a pandemic that has completely shifted everyone's priorities right now. So, so needing to um, stem the loss of life, mm-hmm. um, stem illness, prevent financial ruin for Oregonians, that is now obviously my number one priority. And I have some thoughts on what we need to do there. Oh, please share. I would love to hear them. You know, um, as I was thinking about this interview, I'm like, we are in the middle of a pandemic. I'm like, no, we're not in the middle. We are at the very beginning. I don't think uh, a lot of people realize how early we are in a very long-term pandemic right now. 
um, I was really happy to see that the most recent data from, I have to look up the acronym, um, the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation, which came out yesterday, mm-hmm. shows that Oregon's peak with the current, you know, measures in place, you know, assuming, and I think it's probably fairly accurate that most people are complying with those measures, we are going to be able to accommodate, you know, the sickest Oregonians with our current with our current medical system. So the fear in this pandemic is that we would see such a sharp spike in sick people who need hospitalization, who need ICU beds, and who need ventilators, that it would completely overwhelm our system, overwhelm our medical workers, overwhelm the number of beds we have, overwhelm the number of ventilators we have. Um, But it looks like what we're doing right now, uh, the number of patients that grow very ill will be accommodated by our current system, which is really exciting. the question is, though, when do you lift these these very severe stay-at-home measures? And the answer is not for a long time, because after this first wave, 97% of us will still be vulnerable to, to, to falling ill with coronavirus. So mm-hmm. we need a long-term plan for how we start reopening certain businesses depending on we we need extensive testing we need medications that work and plenty of them we're seeing shortages in the medications and uh, we obviously need a vaccine so we are at the beginning of a long haul and i you know when i'm elected and i take office in january of 2021 i'm going to be thinking a lot about uh, an oregon recovery act where we for sure extend health care to every single oregonian you know, I was thinking about the fact that we're like, we are gonna, we are gonna take care of every Oregonian with COVID, no matter what. They will not have to pay for this. Well, let's think of a, a, a medical diagnosis that we think Oregonians should have to pay for if they don't have medical insurance. No Oregonian should go without healthcare. We know more than ever that everyone's health depends on everyone else's. So, healthcare for every single Oregonian. Mm. Let's do it. Uh, we need extensive testing um, for coronavirus. Hopefully that will be fully in place by January, but we're a couple months into it and we're nowhere near ready to do that. We are nowhere, we have nowhere near the supplies to do that. We need, um, I mean, I doubt we'll have a vaccine by January, but when a vaccine becomes available, we need a uh, very aggressive and organized system of vaccinating every single Oregonian against coronavirus. And then we need to rebuild our public health system. We need to plan forward. Right now, we are just reacting to this virus, and it is a couple days ahead of us. We're starting to we're starting to catch up to it a little bit, but we need to make sure we have an arsenal of personal protective equipment, ventilators, and medications should something like this happen again. I want to shift a little bit from from COVID yeah. to to the to the elected role in. Um, in response and recovery when we get there. As a legislator, what sort of role could you imagine playing in the next steps in recovery from COVID-19? Thank you. Um, as a legislator, when I when I get elected, I will certainly ask to be on the, the House Healthcare Committee. Um, I also would like to be on the Mental Health Subcommittee of that because I do believe we were in a mental health crisis before this pandemic, and I can only imagine how this is exacerbating people's mental mental health issues right now. And I will do what I outlined earlier. I will be part of, you know, introducing, I'm calling it 
House Bill 1 for the 2021-2022 session, where we provide health care for every single Oregonian. We make sure we have an organized and safe way to return some of our businesses back to where they were functioning. I think we're going to see a massive change on how society does things because of coronavirus. I think we will see a lot more people working from home. And how do we facilitate that? That's an aside mostly. We need to have a plan for when a vaccine becomes available and how we roll that out in a concerted and rapid fashion. We need to rebuild our public health system and plan forward for future uh, public health crises like this one. And we need a clear plan to help Oregonians stay solvent, stay in their homes, um, uh, figure out a livelihood if the one they had is no longer viable. You know, I was thinking about the fact that we are massively expanding our shelter beds right now because of coronavirus. And I, shelter beds are definitely a band-aid and not a long-term solution to the houseless crisis. But we need to bring the same urgent action for a long-term solution to the houseless crisis that we're bringing, you know, in terms of a short-term solution in, in light of the, the COVID pandemic. But I just want to say, I think it's very important that we have medical experts driving this legislation, driving Oregon's action. I don't think we need, uh, I mean, my main opponent is a career lobbyist, and I believe that I bring the expertise, the knowledge, the ability, the, the understanding of what really works on the ground. I mean, I've, I've, we've run vaccine clinics in my practice for thousands of kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, I, you know, I think that I can really contribute greatly to Oregon's recovery from the pandemic. Mm. Now, being a state legislator, you obviously have a, a broad array, a diverse array of constituents. Uh, this district is on the west side of the Willamette, Jennifer Williamson's former former district. One of the your platforms is around um, urgent action on climate change. As we know, this last two legislative sessions, Republicans walked out over cap and trade. What do you see as a path to get cap and trade passed in the state of Oregon? Thank you. That's a that's a really good question, and um, I don't want to sound naive. I, obviously, it's very challenging. I think we, I do think we probably need to think about new ways of countervailing the ability of the minority to completely hold up an entire legislative session, which is what happened in 2020, including my the bill I've been working on, which would require that guns are locked when they're not in use, which would save lives the minute. It would have gone, you know, gone into effect. Uh, so I think one thing we need to do is um, I think it's a huge lift to change quorum requirements because it requires a change in the Constitution. But I know there have been some other things offered out there, like we we withhold pay when they're not working or we make it, you know, we have attendance requirements that you are in, you know, in the building for, you know, a certain percentage of the legislative session. Otherwise, you are not eligible to run for re-election. So I think there there need to be some mechanical solutions to this. Mm-hmm. Um, I also keep thinking we have more, we, we definitely have way more in common than we have differences, whether you're talking about the rural-urban divide or the Democratic-Republican divide. And, uh, um, you know, most bills pass with wide bipartisan support. So I think really working on where we can find common ground on this. Mm. It's frustrating right now to think about 
how we're going to find common ground on climate change given what's happened the last two legislative sessions, but I think we need to keep working. I also think we need to educate Oregonians on what this bill truly does and to own the narrative of what it is we're trying to do as a state, not only for capping emissions and um, preventing global warming, but for job development for rural and and low-income Oregonians. Lisa, how can listeners support you? Oh, thank you. Well, first of all, since I'm a healthcare worker and I'm, you know, I'll be leaving here shortly to go to the hospital to see newborns, to go to my practice to see uh, kids under two who need their vaccines. So we need to bring them into the office and then to do my telehealth this afternoon and bring in kids that I have to. Since I'm out there seeing patients, it's important you all stay home, okay, <laughs> so that we slow the spread of coronavirus to protect me and more importantly, uh, to protect those who are really on the front lines in the intensive care units, like my friend, Dr. Maxine Dexter. So that's probably the most important thing because I want to stay healthy. I want my own kids to stay healthy and I absolutely need my patients to stay healthy. Um, In terms of my campaign, please get engaged, get involved, follow me on Facebook, uh, follow my YouTube site, follow my my other social media platforms, Instagram and Twitter. And if you want to get involved in any other way, please just reach out to me through my website. Dr. Lisa Reynolds running for House District 36. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks to Nick and Lisa for joining The Local, and thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown, in about 30 minutes. You can check us out on Facebook. Got a new page there you can like. I think we posted like one thing. We'll post more things going forward. But now... We're like getting close to 40 episodes in this little adventure. If you got story ideas, send us an email at thelocal at xray.fm. We can be together while we are apart. Talk to you tomorrow. In the meantime, stay home, stay connected, and thank you, democracy. X-Ray.